players spent a cool $21.4 billion in their favorite games in Q2 of this year, and that number shows no signs of slowing. But how do you make sure your players continue to invest in your game and stay loyal? My guest Hunter Bulkley from Tilting Point tells us how you can do both, one, by designing for retention, and two, by aligning your game mechanics with real-world charities and causes. I'm your host as always, Peggy Ansaltz, mobile analyst, tech consultant, senior Forbes writer, and founder of Mobile Groove. Today, bringing you a mini-series on retention marketing powered by CleverTap, which is headquartered in Mountain View with offices in Mumbai, Singapore, and Dubai. CleverTap is a modern integrated retention cloud that empowers digital consumer brands to increase customer retention and lifetime value. And as I said, every two weeks, we bring you tips and advice from marketers, experts, and major brands who trust CleverTap to achieve their retention and engagement goals. I also love to celebrate other news, eye-watering data that you may or may not have seen from Data AI app Annie that says spend on mobile gaming apps has hit or is recorded at roughly 21.4 billion in Q2 alone. Again, riding that tide, we're going to look at mobile gaming as well. As I said, it's an app vertical set to hit a new record, probably just did. But it's also a crowded and noisy space where marketers need to do more with less and fill the funnel with what they're doing, which is getting more out of their budget, but also thinking outside of the box to keep players loyal. So we have strategies for both scenarios and more because my guest represents Tilting Point. Tilting Point is a company that employs innovative and data-driven approaches to game development and user acquisition. My guest today is a senior product manager at Tilting Point. He's adept at driving mobile games to maximize their potential, and he's highly skilled at working with international and multicultural teams and studios. He has experience in gaming design and marketing at a number of gaming studios, and he's going to share how he designs for player loyalty and retention. Welcome, Hunter Buckley from Tilting Point. What well, great to have you here. Thank you so much, Peggy. It's a wonderful to see you again. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, exactly. It's two in a row here. It's not that long ago. I met up with you face-to-face -face at Mal. Um, which was interesting for us in the industry, right? It was the world's yeah. biggest acquisition and retention show, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. It's been a pretty crazy time since then, jump between Barcelona and New York, so I'm a little bit jet-lagged, so forgive me if I don't make complete sense some of the time, um, but I'll do my best. <laughs> That's okay. So it was, as I said, that kind of show, really important. What was your biggest impression or learning from the show? I'm just curious. I think it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of um, meeting between a lot of vendors because as, as gaming sort of development side of things, we always end up going to those shows and meeting with a whole bunch of different vendors. So that's usually most of what I get as takeaway from them um, is who's doing what and 
what's interesting going on. And I think uh, a little bit biased because we use Lean Plum and you guys are sponsored by Lean Plum, but I'm really interested in seeing what Lean Plum and CleverTap are doing together now with their Tesseract DB, uh, meeting up with them later this week to sort of interrogate the meal on a little bit more details out of that stuff. But it sounds like the movement of getting data around more efficiently at lower costs and more real-time responsiveness is going to be a big boon for a lot of what I do. Yeah, and to your point, TesseractDB, that was the launch, that was the news for CleverTap and Lean Plum. Uh, CleverTap now acquired Lean Plum at Mal. We'll, of course, have a show just about that. And since you're so curious, maybe we'll have you back to talk about that as well. But for right now, I want to stay with the gaming vertical. I mean, it's no news to you. You're just like, oh, 21 billion, 22 billion. It's, you know, it's all good. It's, it's just another it's week. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's been booming for years. I've been, I've loved the fact that I've talked to my friends and family before COVID. I was like, oh, working gaming on like mobile gaming on your phones and stuff. And they were like, what is that? What do you mean? I was like, Candy Crush, just think Candy Crush. And now I go to people, I'm like, oh yeah, I work in mobile gaming. And they're like, Dad, yes, that's genius. It's wonderful. It's taken off so much. And I'm like, yes, thank you, COVID, a little bit, <laughs> as terrible as it bit. is. Yeah, but it, it has, you know, our behaviors have changed. We are gamers. You know, I, I did the research and looked at it, you know, all the demographics you never thought everyone is a gamer because that's what we had to do. We had to find new ways to use our time. So marketers have to do more with less. Companies have to do more with less. Now that can mean doubling down to make fewer mistakes in the early stages of the product, or it can also mean just being smarter about how you keep users, players coming back. In your opinion, because you do know about design, that's part of your remit, how can a gaming company design better for retention? Thanks. I think it's an interesting situation. So the marketing landscape has been totally blown up with IDFA and all the different things we've just heard about uh, fingerprinting with Apple basically getting deprecated and no longer being used. So that's a huge blow to the MMPs. And there's a lot going on, a lot shifting on that side. So the user acquisition teams and the marketing teams have a hell of a day. So the product teams really need to come in and help them out more with building apps and products that can actually retain users that we acquire. And so I think what we're going to end up looking at is games that are much more geared towards two things, either building a game that is able to be marketed to anyone um, and anyone can download it. So you just can advertise it without needing specific targeting. Those are obviously very hard to make and very general and usually very difficult. Um, or making a game that is just going to retain users incredibly deeply. Obviously the ideal game is both of those two things, um, but you need to add in uh, much more longer term systems. And so I think you're going to see the casual market, any game companies that have been sort of in between those two, the sort of middle ground of mid core of, oh, we'll just make money off of users for 90 days, 180 days or so on. The LTV is going to need to push out for to year, two years, three year LTV payback times um, is what we're going to need to look at in order to market effectively. And so those are going to be the games that survive, the games that can afford the super high CPIs we're going to stare at or can just market to everyone uh, more effectively and don't rely on that niche market. And so anyone in the middle is sort of going to get squeezed out, I think, or only have a very small following in that niche market. And so it's all about building systems that work to support that long term. And 
what those systems are are a huge variety. Um, but I think it boils down to depth of economy and content to a degree, depending on what game you have. I mean, Candy Crush, you look at it, has 3,000, 5,000, I've lost count, so many levels that you can play Candy Crush for two years and still have more to play. So you need to come out with large amounts of content and have a clear, concise content pipeline that you can maintain for long term without absurd amount of effort on your end. So when you're building the product, you need to keep that content pipeline in mind now more than ever to keep costs down low so that you can keep producing it and so you can stay ahead of your users and retain them, uh, especially with your first golden cohort because you may not get another co golden cohort like that. Um, and so you want to, every user that you get needs to be perfect and needs to be retained as long as possible. So content pipeline, keeping that in mind, keeping that three-year payback time in mind as well. And yeah, I think everyone's sort of in the middle range that isn't doing that stuff, it's going to get squeezed. There you go. If you're in the middle, you're going to be squeezed. Unless you have a content pipeline, as you said, let's dive a little deeper into that, Hunter. Content pipeline, is that just like ongoing narrative and storyline for your game? Or is it something more than that? Help me understand what that is first. So it'll depend on your game, naturally, but there's sort of a division of two different things uh, in my head. There's feature design and development, and then there's the content design development. It depends on the game type and studio, which one's more important or which one's working. But they usually are two sort of parallel tracks. Sometimes it's like the live ops one and the feature development one. That can be how it's divided up. But think about it in terms of gaming-wise, it's the content which is different than gaming is different than a lot of different apps. Um, you don't think about content in terms of travel apps, for example, um, or dating apps. It's just about number of users and number of opportunities on the app. But in gaming, it's about making sure there's enough of a game for people to keep playing. And so when you've played 60 day, a game for 60 days, you don't want to be running out of content because then you won't have anything to do. And so a content pipeline is the base content of the game. So in a match-free game, it's the levels that are designed. Um, so remember, you, if you play Candy Crush, you hit the play button, there's a level, that board is custom designed by some madman locked in a room, and uh, all the mechanics in it are designed, and you have, they have to pump out 20 of those per week, at least, in order to stay in front of their end users who are beating the levels. Uh, because you don't want that user to reach the end of content because if mm -hmm. the user reaches the end of content, they stop playing or they'll stop playing for a few days and then they, there's a much lower chance for them to come back. And so you need every day for there to be something. And so that's naturally, but a content pipeline can involve the uh, basically design work in order to construct the content. In Matchery game, that's a level designer. The engineering work in order to integrate any new mechanics for that content, so a new mechanic at a match-free level to keep things interesting and spicy, uh, to keep players involved. Uh, any new art required for that, uh, not as relevant for someone's for match-free level, but if you're designing like a new world in a, kit, in a cooking level, uh, for example, our game SpongeBob Krusty Cook-Off, you involve uh, the art team needs to design the new kitchen, the new world, the new backgrounds for the levels. And it could also involve narrative on narrative design as well on the new stories. 
you can contrast that with feature development, which is still the same sort of players involved, engineers, designers, so on. But these are more longer term systems. For example, a good example, they could be things like a new guild system, uh, which creates social play, a new uh, entire new game mode that may have different mechanics and different progression to the main game. Um, it may be a boss battle in an RPG game. Things like this that are completely new systems and usually require completely new code. Whereas in the content pipeline, you want to make sure that it's as streamlined and easy as possible to reduce the amount of work. You're working on existing things. Mm -hmm. so that's sort of the two divisions. And you need both in order to retain users for a long time. You need the new content coming out to keep them sort of at that base level interest. And then the new features will introduce deeper systems, deeper monetization, deeper engagement pools for you to put more content into. And uh, also add in uh, new sort of touch points and keep the game changing and be interesting so they're not getting bored. Mm -hmm. because like 5,000 the same level with no new, uh, nothing new going on, you're going to want to switch out. Exactly. They're going to switch out. And you do this at Tilting Point with the games that you work with as well as the ones that you're working with developers because you realize that retention is a moving target. So improvements that move the needle today might not last. What have you done to create or achieve the biggest uplift. Can you give us some um, best practice based on that? Yeah, so I think the best, the biggest uplift I've ever personally achieved um, was when we introduced these limited time events into our game, Terragenesis. Mm -hmm. And so Terragenesis is a terraforming game that we acquired some years ago. Um, really amazing game, gets an absurd amount of downloads, really appeals to a lot of people. But we had a long-term retention problem because there was just no no long-term content in the game. And due to some design mix-ups early on and some promises we'd made to the players, we couldn't just introduce new content in a standard way, um, at least not in a monetizing way. And so uh, we were sort of in this trap position of figuring out what we needed to do. And so we introduced limited time events, which answered problems in the game, which were, we didn't, we needed to find a way to add in new content. So these were new levels that would come around for 48 hours and the player would have to play through them within that time frame uh, and terraform a planet in a certain way. So it introduced new content. It changed the game mechanics or changed the victory goal before the only goal was make a planet perfect. Here it was make it into this earth-like perfect place, which gets boring after a while. Here we could be like, okay, make this into a lava planet, make this into a drain all the water out of this planet, uh, adapt to these sort of different circumstances in a much more engaging way that sort of gave the user a difference in kind, a break from the main standard content. And so it also put a time pressure on them so that they had to strategically plan and highly engage during these periods. And I think we saw a good about 20% D30 retention uplift, um, which we were very happy with, obviously. And we ex were able to extend our LTV another 30 days as a result of that as well in terms of targets. So we pushed the LTV back, we increased the retention. So just giving these users this more content in a time-limited way to put pressure on them and engage them on interesting things um, worked very well for us. It's interesting because people say, you know, you have to appeal to certain behaviors, certain 
elements of why and when we play games in the first place. So you've appealed to the FOMO, right? We have a limited period of time. If we don't do it, something isn't quite right. We have that, that time window and at the same time switching it up so we're not bored. So that makes a lot of sense in progressing a user, a player through the stages of the game. We do have to go to break right now, Hunter, but when I come back, I wanna talk about one of your coolest games one of them, many of them, um, and also about what you're doing to inspire, yeah, not just loyalty, but real interest, real excitement around the game, which I think you've done really well with some mechanics. So we're going to talk about both of these so listeners don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. For maximum customer engagement and retention, choose CleverTap. CleverTap is a leading customer engagement and retention platform that helps digital brands maximize lifetime value. Over 8,000 apps around the world, including Vodafone, Star, and Sony, trust CleverTap to improve user engagement, boost retention, and fuel long-term revenue growth. Learn more at CleverTap.com. That's CleverTap.com. Welcome back. We have my guest today, Hunter Bulkley. He is Senior Product Manager at Tilting Point. And Hunter, before the break, we were talking about mechanics, behaviors, all the things you need to appeal to or understand in order to keep your players playing, keep them coming back, increase that LTV. That's the metric you're watching. So it's clear you have to have new ideas. You have to be pursuing innovation. You have to be constantly reinventing. And at Tilting Point, you do this and more. You have some great examples out in the wild. Tell us about one of those examples where you're saying, yep, this is where we are pushing the envelope and where it's paying off. So it's a lot of fun because we're doing a lot of different things in a lot of different areas. Um, yeah not all of which I can always talk about, which is always fun. Um, like I've got a new game coming out in the next few months that I would love to be able to say a whole bunch about, but I can't until it's actually launched okay. and there's more data out there in a while, but something cool is hopefully coming. Um, and then we're doing other stuff on the web free side, but again, none of that stuff is fully live yet, other than the fact that we've announced that well, that's we're doing that something. Time. You're not going to get away that quickly. <laughs> well, we'll back. We'll back. Damn, I was hoping I could avoid it a uh, second appearance. <laughs> but the stuff that is interesting that we can sort of talk about uh, is we've done a lot of work, uh, me in particular, with various charities, in particular um, tree planting uh, and reforestation with our game Terragenesis. We've done some work with uh, Hungry Children on our SpongeBob game as well. But that's some sort of one of those things that uh, we're trying to push and try and push a lot of our games towards this social responsibility and sort of give back to the rest of the community and i think it's something that we're seeing a lot in gaming um pushing towards as well like we're collaborating with the un most recently and the green game jam with the playing for the planet initiative and uh, that had i think like 50 game studios participate in it this year up from like 16 last year where like Ubisoft, uh, Pixelbytes, a whole bunch of different small, uh, small, large, massive, everyone in between, uh, all gathered together and uh, for a, a period of time did something to help uh, plant trees. I think in total it planted 448,000 trees as a last count, but some integrations are still coming in as well over time. So that's one of the things that we're really pushing into. 
That is exciting. I mean, because you think about, okay, we're going to talk about mechanics or something that, you know, pushes the envelope, drives loyalty. No, you drive change with your games. What does that mean to how you encourage, you know, engage um, message to the players? Because it's about sustainability, but it's also about, again, you know, appealing to those behaviors. So you can't just say, hey, come on out and do do good. Maybe you can. <laughs> is, there, is there a way that you have to do that differently? Because you've also written in the past that, you know, messaging is always the hardest part. Yeah. So I think just digging into it would help to explain what the heck we actually did and do <laughs> um, other than, you know, plant trees somewhere, which I did not personally yeah. walk out and go get with a shovel and start planting a bunch of trees. Um, what we did was we partnered with a service called Ecology on uh, basically that has a tree planting API, hooked it into our game, and we have a feature in game where every time a player completes a certain series of actions or gathers up enough in-game currency, they can plant a tree in their game. And then that will send the signal to the API uh, after we have some interference with uh, Lean Plum, which we use as our anti-cheating tech, uh, basically segmenting out users who clearly hack the APK with the variable system that Lean Plum has that I love. Um, they say, okay, anyone who has wallets that are greater than this or anyone who's a non-payer and has this wallet that obviously is a cheater so don't plant those trees because my cfo would murder me if we uh because that's a direct uh, impact on our basically it grows directly into our credit card unfortunately and so that the tree planting is pretty instantaneously but that's the overview of the feature and uh, how it's set up is the actions a player has to do in order to get these uh this currency for the tree planting is uh, monetizing actions so they usually need to uh, basically make us some money or be retained for a long period in order to uh, actually tree plant uh, and we use it as sort of a bone for long periods and so you have to watch an ad for example you need to buy an iap you need to complete this difficult limited time event and so that way there's actually no cost on our side it's the cost is sort of paid on to the player or the advertiser who's showing the ad in the game um and we use it sort of a, that way to keep the feature going on forever so that i never have to justify to my ceo and cfo hey we've spent five thousand dollars in tree planting this month why did we do that do we need to cut the budget when i can say back well no because the budget actually is just determined by how much the players watch ads and monetize and game that's what's determining it and so that's the situation there. That's how the feature set up. But the biggest difficulty, I think, with this feature and what we've encountered with the Green Game Jam overall, and what I'm digging into with them, is how to message it with the players um, and how to communicate it with them. So obviously, we can show them a lot of interstitials and we can push in front of them, but it's making sure they understand that these aren't trees in the actual game. It's extending beyond the game into real life because you have so many different things going on when you're a player in your face all the time and uh, making sure not only that we have to educate you on this new feature, but also that we are, the feature goes beyond the game into the real world is that difficult thing. So what we do is we'll send you out and interstitial with lean plum and this custom interstitial style that we do um that just runs you through the system basically one of your first sessions 
And then later on, when you've acquired enough currency for the first time, put a tutorial in, we'll link you out in the game. We'll give you the option to see where we're actually planting the trees and see this huge forest of 570,000 trees that have been planted by TerraGenesis players over the years. It's actually funny because uh, Ecology recently had to stop planting in Madagascar because they ran out of room. And I was just like, yes, yes this is good. Awesome. I know. I meant that it meant the cost to plant trees went up because Madagascar was a super cheap place to plant trees, but we have reforested Madagascar or we participated in reforesting Madagascar, which was awesome. absolutely fantastic and really uh, awesome to hear uh, that we managed to do that. And so, yeah, that's sort of how the problem is. That's the system of how we set it up in this profit neutral way. But the problem is, of course, making sure the player understands it's the real world impact, not just a cool game system that we have as sort of ancillary to everything else. Uh, and I have a lot of plans to sort of try and expand this into other games and push, but I, I'm working on it. What's the appeal there? I'm just curious. Is it that players say, I want my actions in a game to count in the real world? Because we've wanted to do things for purpose for a while. But, you know, hey, that's an awesome milestone. You're able to reforest, you know, Madagascar, you did it. But there's also something different maybe in how you presented it, but also how we're accepting it. I mean, tell me about that, that messaging, that, that two-way exchange or that, that conversation that you had. I think that a lot of the difference between what we do and what standard uh, has been done is... A lot of the previous integrations are sort of PR headline, cash grabby, not, not cash grabby because there's no cash being made, but PR brief little stints that you do. Um, not that ours has been bad for PR, frankly, um, but that's sort of how they come across because of these temporary um, brief things you do. And they're not necessarily made to make money or even to be profit neutral because it's basically companies saying, hey, we're going to donate X amount, just play our game. Um, that's how they come across. What we've tried to do and what I push very strongly is using standard free-to-play techniques that have built this massive gaming industry to leverage players' normal desires, because that's what gaming companies are really good at, about making players engage and care and monetize for free um, and have this massive pool of users. And uh, what we do is instead of just using that to line our own pockets, and instead of just doing this brief temporary integration, we're using those exact same techniques uh, to build this feature and to plant all these trees uh, independently and profit neutrally so that it'll keep going on forever as long as the game is still around. And the users can engage with it or not engage with it as they want, and so they can get behind it as well. So we have a larger user base than I think user companies used to have, uh, and we're not doing it it's less evidently just a cash grab and more just an integral part of the game that we've developed and introduced. And so players care about it a little more because it's going to be long-term. And I think those sorts of things have set it up for more success. Speaking of success, this was a success. You you talked about it. And you also said you've done other things with, you know, um, with your SpongeBob game that you did about, you know, feeding um, the world's population. What else are you exploring? Because you can do a lot with your titles. You can make a match with a number of different purposes or charities or you know just 
the types of things that are going to lead to sustainability for you as a company, but also for for players in their environment? So I think we're we're exploring a lot of different things. It depends on the the important thing is to find a match between the game, the players, and the cause. So the players need to care about the cause to begin with. If the players don't care about the cause, it's not going to work. Terragenesis was very easy because it's a game about terraforming. It's a game about making a planet into this from barren wasteland to glorious, lush, uh, amazing situation. Uh, SpongeBob, again, easy game about cooking with SpongeBob. Kids hungry. Easy match there. And so it's about finding and talking to your players about what do they actually care about, what causes do they want to support, and then finding the cause to support it. Uh, not the other way around, because remember, the way I think about it is I'm the custodian of my players' wallets here. I'm not the one actually donating all these trees, planting them all. My players are. They're the ones who are doing all this because they're, I, if they're making an eye buying an IAP, it's their direct cash. If they're watching ads, it's their time. Either way, it's not mine. And so think about it in terms of what they care about and what they want to get behind is the important thing. So we have another game where I think I'll probably go with tree planting on it as again. Um, it's another game about space and exploration. So that one will probably be tree planting. Uh, I can't make promises for games that I don't run, unfortunately, but I'm pushing around them for things similar to what we did with SpongeBob or other ways to do it. Uh, but it's all about finding the right partner, finding the right game, and finding the right, uh, or making sure the players actually care about it. And also part of the model is making certain you know who your valuable players are. They're the ones that are either going to buy an in-app purchase, they're gonna view ads. Knowing who they are is part of it. Knowing how they got there is also really important for looking for a cohort, for example. How do you approach this? How do you identify and inspire your most valuable, your most engaged players? Uh, I've gotta head out in a moment, but to briefly answer the question. Um, it is that, you make them feel important, you make them feel special, and you reach out to them on a personal level via some VIP program, or depending on how your game is structured, uh, you could just, uh, yeah, reach out to them on a more personalized level, make sure their experience and their time and their money is going somewhere, and make sure that they actually feel that is the broad conclusion to that. The exact way you do that varies drastically by game to game, uh, but that's what the community team is very involved in doing, making sure they're aware of what's going on in the game, when updates are coming out, and all of that. Well, Hunter, it's been a real lesson in understanding not just how to design for retention, but also design for something even, I think, more that brings more satisfaction is gameplay that matters, um, not just for the profits, but also for the purpose. So I want to thank you for sharing all those stories with us today. Thank you, Peggy. It's been a pleasure. And before I let you go, because I know I have to let you go, people are going to want to talk to you, Hunter. I want to talk to you. I want to catch up with you for your next bit of news and maybe write about it at Pocket Game or whatever. So you're not going to get away that easily. People will want to connect with you. What's the best way to do it? What's the best channel? You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm fairly active there. Hunter vocally at uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, just poke me on there. There you go. And that's exactly what they'll do. That's exactly what I'll do. So thanks again, Hunter, for taking the time.
Thanks, Peggy. Have a great day. And that, my friends, is a wrap. Of course, Hunter has shared his journey and to help marketers and organizations drive customer connection and retention. CleverTap has curated the latest presentations from the CleverTap Quarterly for you on YouTube. CleverTap Quarterly is the company's flagship event. It offers insights around the state of the industry, latest platform innovations, as well as best practices you don't want to miss from practitioners. So learn from the best. It's all over at CleverTap Quarterly, the playlist, as I said, on YouTube. So check that out. And if you want to keep up with me throughout the week, find out more about how you can be a guest or sponsor. And you can email me, Peggy. Peggy at mobilegroove.com is where you can find my portfolio of content marketing and app marketing services. You can also check out this and all earlier episodes of our show on Amazon, iTunes, Stitcher, Speaker, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And if you prefer video, well, hey, we've got you covered there as well because we've got this podcast in video powered by The Groove over on YouTube. So until next time, remember, every minute is mobile. Let's make every minute count. Keep well, and we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.